This is The Bookshelf from NHPR. I'm Peter Biello. For many kids, middle school is a fraught time. Friendships are forged and broken. Bodies begin to change in sometimes uncomfortable ways. For Zenobia July, starting middle school is far more complicated than it is for most of her peers. She's starting in a new school far from where she grew up. But more importantly, she's now identifying as the girl she always knew she was, leaving behind the boy she was labeled as since birth. Zenobia July is the name of Exeter, New Hampshire novelist Lisa Bunker's new book for young adults. And she joins me now. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Peter. I'm glad to be here. Your first novel, Felix Is, used elements of science fiction to get at this idea of of identity and sense of self. This novel is far more realistic, and and I I would venture to say heartbreakingly so. Can you tell us a little bit about how you first thought about writing Zenobia July? There were three separate uh, inspirations for this book. Um, The first is light and fun. Um, I've always wanted to write... uh, a super detective in the Sherlock Holmes vein. Um, so my detective works in cyberspace instead of the real world and is a teenage transgender girl. If I get to write more Zenobia books, which I certainly hope I do, then I want to develop a long arc of her solving cyber mysteries. So that's the fun, easy one. Um, the second one is tougher. Um, there was a, a real-life trans girl named Leela Alcorn who committed suicide in 2014, and she left behind an eloquent note on Tumblr, the, the social network. And among the things she said was, please make sure my life means something. And I really was hit hard by that. That sort of went viral when it happened, and I was aware of it, and people were doing online sort of eulogies for her and so on. Um, and I really took that to heart. And my story brain started working on the question, what did Leela need in her life that she did not have so that she could have survived the situation that she found herself in, a family that did not welcome her or accept her? Um, they subjected her to conversion therapy. And suicide was the only way she could find to extract herself from the situation she found herself in. Um, so I started imagining a different path, and that was the beginning of the story of Zenobia, who in the book loses her family of origin. Her last surviving parent dies just before the book begins. And she moves to Portland, Maine to live with her cool lesbian aunties. And so the answer to the question, what did Leela need, in this book at least, was a second chance with queer family of choice. Can you talk a little bit more about family? Because almost in every page of this book, it seems like Zenobia is trying to construct that family, whether it's uh, a combination of her aunties or it's a, uh, or her friend, her circle of friends at school. How important is it for someone going through what she's going through to have that kind of family that's super supportive? Well, it's not even just family. I would say it's sort of um, community as well, the friend group and the other things. It's sort of the aunties have friends who become involved. And that's actually, I said before, there were three inspirations. The third inspiration was something interesting that happened after Felix was published, which was I started getting reader reviews that said there were too many LGBTQ characters in the book, which I did just for fun, sort of, to see how many characters I could make match one at least one of those letters. In Felix is In Felix, mean? yes. So in Felix, as an unpublished writer, I was just messing around, and I made Felix gay, and his mother is bisexual, and his grandparent is genderqueer, and so on, just to see what it would look like, because I had never read a book like that. And I got some pushback from a sector of the reading public who sort of, sort of seemed to, see, to think that there was a kind of unspoken limit on the number of queer characters you could have in a book. 
And I thought, but don't people realize that when you're out in the world and you're exploring identity and claiming identity, you get so much help from family of choice and friend groups and from the sort of collectives that happen in the real world and online. There's this enormous sort of force of community and family of choice among the rainbow folk. And I wanted to do it on purpose this time. So I depicted not just Zen living with her two aunties, um, but also she immediately sort of connects with the sort of the fringe alt-queer friend group at school. Um, and those sets of people in her life help her navigate this incredibly difficult thing she's trying to do, presenting as a girl for the first time in a new school. Well, that's one of the big differences between this new book and Felix Is, right? Because in Felix Is, they were they were characters of the LGBTQ community who were not struggling with their identity and for whom it wasn't the, the central thing of the story. Um, but in this story, um, Zenobia is struggling and she's turning to the people who have been there before who can help her with that. That's right. Yeah, identity is much more central to the story, but I've... I, th- I think I managed to stay true to the idea that I started with and Felix was, which is that I don't ever want to write a book that's just about that. You know, another sort of lectury lesson-y book about identity with a capital I. It's more central because she's trying to do something that's very hard to do. Um, she's claiming her identity, but she's also solving cybercrimes and making friends and other things happen in her life. So I never want to write a book that's just about that because that's a kind of reductionist thinking that I think you run into once you're presenting in the world as a trans person, in my case. I hate it when I get reduced to that. It's only one small part of who I am as a human and not a very important part most of the time. So I don't ever want to be just that trans person. I want to be Lisa, who is a writer and a state rep and married and has children and write and and all these other things, plays chess and plays the piano. And oh, she's trans. Oh, okay. So anyway, tell me about the chess. That's interesting. Or whatever. You know, I want it to be an incidental detail about me. So even though Zen's sort of first year living as a girl is an important part of the book, I never want that to be the only thing the book is about. Well, let me ask you about something else the book is about, which is middle school, right? Middle school is a tough time for a lot of kids. It was for me. Uh, confession time here. I got into a lot of trouble in middle school. Like I used, to, I was just, I was the bad kid. I was cutting class. I know. I'm she, shaking my finger. At <laughs> I recovered. I became a very good student after that period in my life. But middle school was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, was it tough for you? What was middle school like for you? Middle school was, uh, oh well, it was awful. I suppose. Um, I w- I was a lurker on the edges. I was so deep already in this sort of boy-man project that I tried so long to do because I thought it was my only choice in life. Trying to be the stereotypical boy-man? Well, not stereotypical, I don't think. I never I never sort of went all in on masculinity and tried to be, you know, the sort of big, strong, loud sports boy. I was, besides being an unexpressed trans girl, I was also an introvert and shy and nerdy. Um, so I just lurked on the edges and mostly watched people and, and had my private pursuits and my one or two friends and my family. Yeah, I was a lurker. Mm-hmm. I, I ask about middle school because, I mean, this book seems like it could it could work not just for, for trans kids or kids struggling with wondering who they are, but anybody going through a tough middle school situation because the cliques form, right? Mm-hmm. And, and cliques are, are almost 
essential for any middle school experience, right? And they're difficult to deal with, and they, they cause a lot of rough emotions. It's hard to read the room sometimes when you're in middle school and see who's your friend and who's not your friend. And in this story, Zen spends the entire story living, as we say, in stealth. So nobody knows she's trans except one or two characters. And so the teasing and the bullying that she encounters have nothing to do with an LGBTQ identity. They're just they're teasing her because her dress doesn't fit right. Now, there happens to be a really complicated reason why her dress doesn't fit right. But the girl who teases her about that doesn't know that reason. She just sees a kid who's a little bit oddly dressed and sees a bullying hook and goes for it because that's who that kid is. Mm. Um, so yes, there is something universal about it. And I do hope to reach readers who don't identify as any of the letters of LGBTQ too, because I think it's important to show the lives of these queer characters to folks who don't already live in that world. Um, I want to get beyond sort of preaching to the choir and write stories that are so exciting and compelling that they grab all kinds of readers. I wanted to ask you about names. Um, names are very important to the characters here. Zenobia get a chance to, to choose her own name. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of names in this novel? There is the part where Zen got to choose her own name, um, and she picked Zenobia in part because it goes from Z back to A, so it's like this typographical um, illustration of going back to the beginning and starting over again. There is a character named Arlie in the book, A-R-L-I, and Arlie is genderqueer, identifies as neither male nor female. Um, Arlie is a word geek, and Arlie is fascinated by words or sets of words that have no repeat letters. Um, and so Zenobia July, for example, is 11 letters with no repeats. Arlie's full name is Starling Kedem, which is 13 letters with no repeats. And an attentive reader, if that person should go through the book carefully, will find several more words or phrases with no repeat letters. Um, so it's this deep word geeky thing. Um, and when I was designing the story, I needed to pick names for the characters that worked for that. Lisa Bunker, 10 letters, no repeats. As it happens... Yes. Um, I didn't do that on purpose, but I'm so glad it worked out that way. Well, it's it's an asset to the book, I think, the the, the fun that you seem to be having on the page with, with words. It is, as you say in, in, your, in your biography here, one of your geekeries. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that's a lot of what writing is for me, is just the fascinating games you can play with language. Um, and it's endlessly endlessly diverting. I just never get tired of it. This is the first time we've, we've spoken since uh, since you became a state rep. That's true. How's that been? I have been having an amazing time serving in Concord. So I was elected to represent my town of Exeter, one of four reps plus a flotarial rep. Um, and I started serving in January. Um, I'm on the Ways and Means Committee, so I dumped, jumped right into the deep end of the pool. Um, I have learned an enormous amount about state revenues and the lottery and all sorts of things I never knew anything about before. And I've learned way more than I ever knew before about how state government works. Um, the other part that's fascinating about um, serving in Concord is I am working every day that I am there with people that I would never otherwise meet because we all live in our little bubbles. Um, but in Concord, it's 400 folks elected from across the state of New Hampshire and were sort of, you know, slotted into the, all the different um, committees to have party balance. And so I have these Republican colleagues that I sit next to every day, and I've gotten to know them. I've gotten to be friendly with them. Um, I've worked really hard to bring some of the same sorts of ideas that I'm working on in my writing 
sort of this post-binary narrative kind of thinking to that work. For example, I made a pledge, which I have still kept to this day, to not say anything mean about anybody or to anybody. There's a lot of there's lots of state reps on Twitter. You can go there and and see people sort of you know slinging mud at each other and getting insults in and stuff. And I just don't want to play that game. I want to stay respectful. I want to work on differences. I want to fight injustice. But I also want to have ways to say we and us, I'm doing air quotes, we and us, that still mean everybody. I think that's so important, both in writing and in politics. Well, Lisa Bunker, thank you very much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. Lisa Bunker is the author of the new novel, Zenobia July. You can find a list of the top five reading recommendations she offered, as well as our conversation about her first novel, Felix Is, at nhpr.org. Last time on The Bookshelf, we spoke with Abby Maxwell, author of the new novel, The Den, and she wanted to recommend a short story collection called Runaway by Alice Munro. She writes pretty exclusively stories, but stories that feel like novels. Runaway was just the first book that I read by her, and so it's my favorite book. It's a book that showed me that I could write about the kind of people and places that I know and the kind of place that I came from. That's Abby Maxwell, and you can hear my conversation with her and many other authors from New Hampshire by subscribing to The Bookshelf from NHPR Podcast. Just search for The Bookshelf from NHPR in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can share your reading recommendations by sending me an email. The address is books at nhpr.org. Or better yet, tweet us a picture of the pile of books by your bedside at NHPR Bookshelf. This is The Bookshelf from NHPR. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you very much for listening.